Welcome to the International School Podcast. I'm your host, co-host John Micton, and Dan will be with us next time. He's traveling. Many of us have been enjoying being in international schools. You know, one of the things about international schools is being able to travel. You know, we we look at uh, opportunities to go to different parts of the world. And some of us have worked in Africa. Some of us have worked in Asia and South America and North America and Europe. And that's one of the things that often, if you talk to international school teachers, that's one of the attractions, being able to be immersed in different cultures and different geographic locations. And it's a it's a really a rich opportunity to learn and grow as a professional. And then also each school in these different geographic locations has different pedagogic approaches. It has a different mission. And those are things that are attract us. And as we look and look at professional opportunities, of course, those are different things that come into play. There is also the side that where you are as an international school teacher, there's a world around you. There's geopolitical dynamics. There are different things that can happen. And some of us are maybe in areas of the world that don't have as much geopolitical tension and others where that kind can come up. Sometimes it can be environmental. It can be political. There are all kinds of different variables that come into play. Today, I just feel very honored that we have two school leaders that uh, are involved in schools that are in places that very likely most people would not put on their map to where they want to go. And that is Trey and Kiev and Bridget and Khartoum. And they both are directors. Bridget is the director of the American School of Khartoum and Trey is the director of Pershek School International in Keith. And they have been very generous to give some time to come and talk and share their stories. I think it's really important as educators that we understand that the dynamics in every country can be very different. And the world around us sometimes is quite challenging. We are immersed often with news that shows some of the darker sides of humanity and the conflicts that happen that sometimes we don't control, but people are indirectly or directly impacted. And we're going to kind of delve into these subjects today. So first of all, Bridget and Trey, thank you so much for being on the International Schools Podcast. A warm welcome. And I'm going to ask you, really, I'm going to start with Bridget. Tell us a bit uh, about your journey that brought you to leading a school in Khartoum, the Khartoum American School. Thank you, John. It's great to be with both of you. Um, I would say uh, before Khartoum, I was in leadership at the International School of Kigali in Rwanda. I was there for 10 years. I loved living in Africa. I loved being part of leadership of a small community-focused school. Um, I, when I was looking for my next opportunity, I was looking for that kind of school. And Khartoum American School uh, really did, did and does fit the bill. Um, we are um, 200 students, which actually in Africa counts as a medium-sized school, but um, <laughs> probably in the rest of the world, it's, we're pretty tiny. Um, but we have a real sense uh, of community, um, of uh, students being our main priority. Um, I also, um, I like challenges. Uh, it's hard to think now, but actually when I moved, the day after I moved to Khartoum, uh, 
the the warring factions had signed a peace deal. So I felt that that was a good sign. That was 2019. And then unfortunately, when we were evacuated um, in April 2023, obviously that had all fallen apart. But yeah, that was that was my journey. Um, we're currently in Alexandria in Egypt, so still on the continent of Africa, although in a, a very different place. Thank you, Bridget. And Trey, share us your story, and then we'll come back to some topics. Right. I, I was really taken by Bridget's uh, explanation there. And what you'll catch, I think, in a, in a lot of people's lives as, as they talk about their background, you'll start to see some of the harbingers uh, of what's going to come later in, in their career. Uh, and, and, and for me, it's, it's similar to kind of what Bridget said. My background is, is kind of like a Frankenstein monster of sorts. It's been uh, kind of sewed together. I, my career started at an experimental school in North Carolina with at-risk students. Um, but then I went into the international realm. And six countries later, I was working in Guatemala at a special school called the Safe Pastor School. And it served kids whose families worked in the garbage dump uh, in Guatemala City. And it was a full spectrum program. It was trauma informed. Um, and our, our mission was really to get kids out of the garbage dump and in graduation and into a job. But the model, the educational model was really student centered, very innovative, uh, dealing with kids who are experiencing extreme trauma with the gang violence and the other social ills that uh, the zone suffered from. However, loving that work, when this job in Kiev uh, came to my knowledge, I realized that this was the natural next step for me um, in terms of taking a particular skill set that I believe combines international school experience with, shall we say, circumstances that are less than certain. Um, and I just really felt like I could make a difference in that. And I know that's something of a cliche when people say that, but uh, it was a real dramatic moment in my life uh, to, to make the move to Kiev. Wonderful. And what I, what I like about both of you as you're answering this is there's just such a sense of permanency and positiveness. You know, our school, like it's alive. And I think people very likely imagine both of your situations, you know, have been on the front and center of news and, and, you know, a lot of hardship and just horrors. I think that's the word that I'm going to use, that the local populations and what's going on. And I just love the way you're, the energy and the positiveness. Maybe each of you tell us a bit about that transition. So things kind of, you know, the geopolitical situation comes about, you're in the middle of it, what happened? And both of you now, uh, as I understand, your schools moved to different locations. I stand corrected. Bridget schools in Alexandria and not Cairo. So my apologies. So just please be mindful. It's Alexandria. Talk a bit about that transition. So, you know, the, the conflict happens. You're in the school. Suddenly things have to change. I assume there are various organizations that come and help you, embassies. And then you physically move to another location. And I know, Trey, your story is a little different. So maybe let's start with you because now you've reopened a campus. And I know Bridget is still in Alexandria. So we'll start with Trey and then Bridget. Right. Um, I, I'm going to have to jump in and say like Rachel Caldwell, uh, my predecessor and a wonderful friend, she and I became uh, close partners in the transition process from when the when the conflict began or the full scale invasion began in 2022. The school had to make the determination to become essentially a displaced person uh, in an organizational form uh, and it broke into pieces. Uh, some students remain in Kiev. 
who tried to learn uh, with a distance model. Uh, some re uh, relocated to, to Warsaw, uh, the American School of Warsaw, which was a, I'll talk about in a moment, that partnership. And I know Bridget can speak to this. When another school steps up and becomes a partner and allows you to embed among them um, and still keep uh, your identity um, and, and, and your mission as well. And then a number of our students, of course, uh, there was a diaspora uh, moving about the world. Uh, our numbers went from around 550, which was our capacity down to 100 uh, and such. So that year in Poland that Rachel oversaw, she and I, you know, just living through this together. I joined the school. I took the position last October and worked with her, uh, you know, joining board meetings, uh, working on recruitment and was very close as well with that experience. But really what happened when it was time to go back to Kiev, um, all of that work, I mean, all of that, that, that mission centered uh, community building and nurturing really paid off. Um, as we went back to Kiev and opened our doors, we started with 86 students uh, at the beginning of the year. And we're now at 104, so we're growing. Um, so, yeah, it's partnerships. It's the support of the global community. And I will say this before handing it to Bridget. I know in the international school realm, we speak, at least rhetorically, about global community. Um, I will say this, frankly, it's rare that I get to see it so concretely manifested as an experience of PSI, so many schools, so many organizations, so many stakeholders and supporters came forward and did what they could um, across the gamut uh, in terms of their passion and compassion for the school. Um, I personally uh, think there were two reasons we were successful. One was the type of people and the type of mission and the community we have, and it was the absolute unbridled support of the global community, uh, not only the school that we embedded with, but other schools as well. And that's what's so rich to hear is the idea that it's actually real, that people showed up and maybe people that you weren't familiar with or organizations that maybe weren't on your community's radar. And it is so wonderful to hear how people really kind of showed up and said, we're here to help you. And I think that, you know, I agree with you. There's a lot of rhetoric around that. We kind of have that in our missions and we try to do it a bit. But now hearing your anecdote just makes it that much more uh, amplified and powerful that you know that is so reassuring and that's so nice to hear that you know all those players came into into the scene with you and said hey we're here to help you and i think that's just a wonderful story and and also testimony to the community the larger community of international schools bridget yeah <clears throat> i would um i would definitely echo what trey says and we often hear it in our small little office so often say we're really grateful that PSI we're not obviously we're not glad that PSI didn't have to do this before us but we always feel like we're walking in the footsteps of PSI with our experience because we always are able to learn from from what PSI has been through and so many times I've been able to speak with Rachel and members of Trey's team and now Trey as well so even that global community between our two schools um we, we are grateful. To give maybe a little bit co of context, um, I think sometimes it's easy to think um, wars in somewhere like Sudan, it's kind of inevitable. Um, we uh, and the international community were not expecting what happened on uh, the 15th of April. You know, I was about to go supermarket shopping and then I suddenly got a call saying, you know, there was widespread gunfire, tanks were on the streets. Um, and then this was a start of a kind of a full blown war 
one of my teachers rang me and said, does Sudan have an air force? And I said, you know, I don't think so. And then minutes later, I heard a plane coming over and bombing in our neighborhood. So we were um, eight days, uh, and I'm talking here about the expatriate staff, eight days um, in Sudan taking cover. One of my teachers had a stray bullet hit their foot. Um, we managed to get everyone together to in a hotel uh, where we knew that there was enough food and electricity and we had good communication. Um, and then we were actually uh, evacuated by military, like a military convoy and then a military plane by the French government to Djibouti. Um, from there, um, people went, we managed to get people flights to return home. So we, uh, particularly as expats, were fortunate we managed to leave as quickly as basically it was possible. Um, from there, we were trying to support from afar our local staff, many of whom were leaving by land and some by air as well. Um, we, I, when I think back on it now, it's um, kind of a testament to our community and our focus on our students that we actually managed to start distance learning two weeks later after we evacuated. Um, because we were, you know, we knew that our students needed to see us and needed to have that connection with each other. Um, and like Trey said, we were we were fortunate that Sea Change, Ellen Mahoney's Sea uh, Change organization worked with our teachers to really support them after the trauma that they have been through. Also, we were we had a real piece of hope. Um, Simon Gillespie at the International School of Uganda offered to host graduation for us. So we kind of had a virtual hybrid graduation, um, which was very emotional, but was really did, really did have some hope. And just to kind of give closure on this, the we I actually not long after I uh, we evacuated, I spoke to Rachel uh, Caldwell, and I was. She said, "Why don't you do what we did? Try and you know find a school and set up a satellite campus." So she really kind of set my thoughts going, and I. Um, spoke with Laura Light, who connected me with Maddie at NISA. And then from there, we connected with Schutz American School, which is where we are now. So yeah, to come back to the, our gratitude as a school, to PSI for kind of really supporting us in this journey. Wonderful. Yeah. And what a story. Oh, my God. That's just amazing to think. And just the resilience and uh, the sense of community and that two weeks later, you guys were online. And I love the story of the graduation. And I think, you know, really hats off this wonderful to you and your community and to both of your communities for really, I think, you know, when I hear these stories, these are the missions being lived. You know, we have these missions on the wall, but there's something that you suddenly realize, oh, that's why we have this mission. This is kind of our framework, our guiding light or whatever you want to name it. But I just really get that sense and, and the sense of also the dedication and the professionalism. I say, we're going to be online. It's important, as you said, Bridget, for the kids to see our faces. And just that sense of, of just commitment is just phenomenal. Now, 
you know, both of you have had different kinds of challenges in different contexts, and each setting has a very different dynamic and their variables. But tell me, you know, what was one of your biggest challenges in keeping the school open? Now, open doesn't mean physically, it could be virtually, but what was it that kind of was the driver? And maybe we'll start with Bridget and then we can come to Trey. What was the driver saying, okay, we need to keep going? Because very likely, and I, and I think in the past, schools have just basically said, well, we're shutting down and parents have to kind of work it out. But you're actively still alive. You're in Alexandria. You've had the generosity of another school community to host you. But what was kind of the challenges that you faced, Bridget, as a school community and you yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one the driver for me, like you said, John, comes back to our mission. Um, I was, you know, when we had graduation and then I was thinking of our the 11th graders at the time and where are they going to graduate from where are they going to get that education from we're also a very inclusive school and we've always been very proud of the fact that we all learners um you know that we basically accept all learners and we um and i was yeah i was worried about some of our students where were they gonna go where were they gonna find that kind of sense of home and community um, I also thought a lot about the comfort I got from, from being together with my colleagues and with the students when you've been through a traumatic experience. And I felt like there would be a lot of benefits for students for, um, to stay with us. Um, I think the, of course, the challenges are like operating in another country, <laughs> Um, you know, we, we also have students online and I have to have a lot of gratitude to Tim Carr at Avenues, who is very, very quickly after I spoke to Rachel, I spoke with Tim and Avenues are, are, are supporting as well. So as much as there was a lot of challenges, I was, I also just had a lot of people along the road who kind of smooth things, uh, smooth thing out for us. So Michael Schooler, who's the head of school here at Schutz, Tim at Avenues. I have an amazing business manager who is Sunni's Egyptian, and there is no problem that she cannot solve. She emptied our safe at school and carried that money from, from Khartoum to, to Cairo so she could pay a salary. So she can escape a war like this. I knew that we would be able to open a school in another country. Unbelievable. Thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, what an amazing story, your business manager, you know, going to the safe. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that, you know, and, but I think Bridget also something that resonates for me. And I know uh, that for a lot of people that have been in very challenging situations or even traumatic situations and then coming together. And I just love that statement that you said it was really important for us to be together because mm -hmm. you had that shared experience and something about that that was kind of maybe even a, a an opportunity to continue processing the experience mm -hmm. and having that group of people more than suddenly ending up in some small town somewhere in the world in your home country and trying mm -hmm. to synthesize that but not having people that could relate and that really seems uh that really resonates when you say that mm -hmm. trey 
talk a bit about your challenges that you face. Because again, as I was saying before, the geopolitics, the dynamics, the timelines are also different, but you face challenges and you are facing challenges like Bridget is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I was, it was resonating with me. <laughs> Every time I talk to, to Bridget, I, I have a very symbiotic relationship with what she's saying, because, you know, the idea of having a hybrid model, uh, your, you know, your, your community has been split into pieces. Uh, Tim Carr was also an incredible, and avenues were incredible for us as well last year. But I'd like to speak a little bit about opening the campus back up in Kiev. And a couple of like really tangible, concrete challenges were, were at the forefront for me, right? Uh, when the air sirens go off and the air alerts go off and the strikes begin, uh, we have to go to the bomb shelter. And so you're already starting as a director, you're thinking, okay, we've got all the, the normal uh, challenges that come, whether it's finance, strategic planning, all these things with school. But now we have to figure out a way to make um, evacuation to the shelters the least disruptive, um, at, you know, force that we can, right? And so uh, from the get-go, we're very committed to making the shelter space as much like a classroom space as possible, number one, and making sure that our teachers were really inculcated with this commitment to when we got to the shelter. And what's interesting about it is our goal is to get to the shelters within five minutes once we hear the alert, because that's the, we have, that's the fastest that something can arrive. Um, and so we get to the shelters and our goal was to create just this, this, this real feeling of inclusion, calmness, even levity if we can, but also learning to continue the best way possible. And I will assure you, I have been so happy with our team and with our students that once we get into the shelter, learning does continue. And there's two big reasons for that that's important, right? Obviously, from an academic standpoint, you know, the learning disruption and all of that. But I think from a psychosocial standpoint, that feeling of continuity uh, to continue learning once entering the shelters. And as we've gone into the winter, uh, we're in the shelters daily. Uh, so this has become even, a, it, was a, it was a little more manageable, I think, at the beginning of the year. But um, you're probably watching the news as we go into the winter, uh, the strikes do increase uh, in number. So we've had to adapt to that. The other thing, uh, again, my background is, uh, is in trauma-informed practice. So coming to the school, um, it's not assumed that teachers coming to the school would have that background as well. But it's been vital uh, to really engage and a holistic across the board, both horizontal and vertical uh, enrichment around the idea of what is a teacher's role uh, in a, a trauma-sensitive school um, and how students manifest in trauma. It's, it's whether it's anxiety, PTSD-related um, uh, presentations, it, it can really differ with students. It can range from uh, a, a microaggressions, a little more aggression to uh, silence and almost with, withdrawing. And so training teachers to understand and into their classroom management, to their treatment of their students, and to their support of their students. The point being that in a situation like ours, um, one cannot say that it's the psychologist's job or it's the student counselor's job to handle these special challenges that might come with the environment we're in and how that's uh, affecting students. It's all of our jobs. And, and I'm really happy and thrilled and proud to say that this community of educators and leaders have really stepped up to that and we're growing into that. Um, people take care of each other in our community. Uh, I agree with you both, you know, this idea of mission statements, gathering dust and a nice frame on the wall. But in our, our motto is a place where we belong, 
Um, I took I took the job for many reasons, but one of them was that motto. I've spent my entire life leaning into that, this idea of creating places where people feel safe. They're havens for growth and risk taking. And here we are uh, ostensibly in a conflict zone, uh, leaning on that premise. And it's not rhetoric. It's not words. We we speak these words every day, uh, a place where we feel safe. And so all aspects of the school all have to in my opinion, lean back toward that and, and, and my modeling of that where I can and will. Um, so I just want to say that just reinventing what does it mean to serve our students and, and, and having students step up, right? And let me be honest, I mean, these kids, you know, sometimes the strikes will start at two and they go to eight in the morning and this is intentional as a psyops aspect to what the strikes are meant to do and people come in tired and, and we're going into the winter. Last winter, as you know, was a pretty horrific time uh, for, for a lot. The, the power was cut off for you know quite a long time in the height of winter. And people, the, the anxiety is going up. And we have to name it and talk about it and have the tools in place to support teachers and students as they as they engage with these challenges. So. Amazing. And I, I think, you know, there, there's this theme that you both are sharing that's so important is this idea of continuity. And you use the term, you know, let's lean on each other. Let's feel included. And that idea of community and making sure that people understand, name it what it is. So if it's fear or panic or whatever, being very transparent. And the other thing that really resonates is the idea that everybody's part of this. You're not, oh, you're the counselor, so you get to deal with that. No, we all deal with it. We all show our resilience and we all come to the table and really engage with that. And it's just wonderful to hear. And I think one of the things in these remarkable times, how has your leadership approach changed, Bridget? I'm going to start with you. And is there like a, an event or something that you suddenly said, oh, okay, now I'm going to change the way. Sometimes it's not conscious, of course, but is there something that has changed in the way you approach leadership in a school setting? I think, so I've always been a leader that has really focused on building trust within teams and with in the school and i have to say during the very intense time of crisis that that trust was incredibly important that my teachers and the whole community had to know that if i said something that they had to believe that that was true you know if i said take cover you know then you take cover and you're you're not going to move until i i tell you to get out so i think that 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 piece of trust is and was incredibly important and also for parents you know when I said you know we're going to set up this school in Alexandria and you know come um, I think that they demonstrated trust in in our school and our community and in me as well that this could actually happen but I would also say a kind of a change in me is you know as we've transitioned to a new location I am the head of school but I'm in a different you know, I'm sitting on another campus and I just have to have a lot of trust in other people as well. I have to delegate a lot more than maybe I used to. And I have to trust the team at Schutz, which I do a great deal. Um, and, you know, we have we also have faculty working all over the world. My accountant is in the Philippines and, you know, we have people everywhere. So we just have to um, 
that that piece of trust that we all trust each other, I think is 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 incredibly important. Is there a single event that kind of was your aha that that was so important? You talk about that's been your leadership style, but is there mm-hmm. something, an experience or a moment that kind of, you know, you said, okay, now I get why trust is so important. Uh, I suppose we, um, the kind of, by the time that um, we were basically just trying to work out how we could get evacuated from um, from Khartoum. We um, the teachers kind of knew that it was we were kind of on a kind of command and control kind of situation. Like if I tell you to get in this car and sit in this seat, this is what you're going to do, right? If I say a bag of this size, this is what you're going to do. And I was, you know. That's it. That is not how I like to lead, but I I like to think it's because people trusted me and that they knew this was what they needed to do for their best interest, that this this was able to work. So when we got a call saying, go to the French embassy now, we were all in those cars within sitting in the right seats within maybe 15 minutes and getting there because we because of that level of trust. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Trey, building on some of the ideas of Bridget, what about your own experience and what has changed in your leadership style? I'm going to have to agree with Bridget on the trust piece. You know, I, I think Bridget and I share this idea that we're dispersed leadership, you know, model types, like right where we want to make sure that the members of our teams they, they know that we believe in them. We're not there to do the, their jobs or, or to oversee them in that sense. We're there to support them and give them the tools uh, that they, they need to be successful in their work. Um, and I, I, I disperse leadership and the idea of all people feeling like they, they're they doing their part um, and that they're trusted. You know, building group norms. It was I've always really believed strongly in building those, especially in, in arenas of stress or uncertainty. People have to be able to lean on each other and, and know they can count on one another. Well, part of that is how do we interact? How do we work together? How do we deal with crisis? How do we deal with, with conflict, which is healthy and part of any team? Um, really worked hard this year on that. Um, but how did I, how have things changed? I, I have to say in that environment, being more clear, and, and, I, and I feel good about how you know, I've made some progress on this front, but making sure the teams know the different types of decisions that have to be made in the con- in the context, right? For example, here's a decision where we're all going to get together and basically treat this from an egalitarian democratic standpoint. We're going to sit down and we're essentially going to vote on this thing, right? And then there's a, there are other types of decisions that we, we don't have the luxury of that and they're more security or safety based where, you know, I have to make a decision quickly. But what's what's good about making that distinction is that if you're clear with your teams about those types of decisions, they respect that um, and they understand why you're, you're making that. That the, the other thing I think that would have been a change for me is I always, when I was a teacher for a couple of decades, I always believed that my role as a teacher was not limited to the classroom walls, right? And you, you're, you're not just teaching a child, you're, you're working with a family, all of that. Well, that was fine. But what's happening now is my, my role um, and the role of our leadership in general, it's not just me, um, our, our role in, in supporting the families and their psychosocial health and their sense of belonging um, is, is incredibly paramount. Um, and so you're, of course, you know, the student in the classroom, interacting with teachers, interacting with their learning space, you know, all the classic elements of, of, of effective pedagogy and learning 
we have to, we're creating a community, a learning community. Um, and it's a term I, I, I learned a long time ago, and I've never seen it more important than now, like to consider we're a learning community, but we are a community in the truest sense. And so, you know, my interaction with families is different in this environment than it would be in a prototypical school uh, and what they might be looking to me for in terms of something they can rely on, uh, they can trust uh, the safety of their children at our school. I mean, it'll make you cry to think about it. I'm a parent and to hand your kids off to a school at the beginning in the morning and know that they're safe, know that they're safe. Um, something as, as concrete as that. Yeah. That's something that I, I ponder and reflect on daily. Thank you. So, you know, as we're listening or I'm listening to this story and our audience is listening, this word resilience comes up. And one thing that you both are leaders and you've alluded to this, like, Bridget, you were talking, if I tell you to sit in this seat, you sit in this seat. If the bag is that size. So there is that kind of, you know, teachers have to be resilient. And of course, most of your teachers that were working with you did not anticipate this. This was not in their in their degree or their experience. Mm -hmm. I doubt it. Maybe they had different experiences of challenges in a personal level, but nothing at, at a globe, you know, such a geopolitical global level and being so intense. We're talking about life and death here. And as you mm -hmm. talk about the uh, you know, going into the bomb shelters tray, these are we're talking about life and death and safety. What was it that you did to kind of develop that resilience in the teachers? And then it's always nice to give and to mentor and coach people. What were you doing for yourself to develop your resilience? Because when you give, give, there's only so much you can give. And you also very likely, we're all human, had your own personal fears and, and whatever it might be. So how did you kind of play both the resilience of the teacher and getting them to become resilient or encouraging them or inviting them and then also managing your resilience and how did you play both? Bridget, maybe we'll start with you again. Yeah, I have to say that the for those for those 8 days we were kind of really in an, an emergency situation where the focus was on kind of communication, making sure everyone had the information that they needed that was accurate. Um, after the fact, once, you know, we were evacuated, then we really focused on how we could support people psychologically um, so that they could then, for their own trauma, but also when we started working with students, that they would have some foundations for some trauma-informed practice. Um, this year, we have been really focused on helping all of our community and like Trey said, even our parents uh, process what they have been through um, and um, kind of being able to tell stories. Uh, we were fortunate that Leanne Lavender uh, came to visit us on campus here um, and she did some amazing storytelling circles with our students, uh, with faculty and parents. And um, I think one of our parents said, um, I didn't know I needed that until I'd done that. Um, so that process, that process of leading people through telling stories. And then our, we, our students have continued to work with Leanne uh, 
virtually to complete digital stories um, of kind of what they've been through and then what they have learned. And I'm that I I think my um, that IT tech the IT technician said to me afterwards. I thought I was going into a, a meeting or something, and then suddenly I'm in a circle telling stories. Um, but I I know that 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 work of um, of kind of processing and coming together to do that has been so has been so vital for 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 everyone in our community and that's something we're we're continuing to do as well and i really think the the learning and the resilience has come out of that processing as a collective and for you yourself how have you kept your resilience because you've had to you know people have looked to you as the leader mm -hmm. you know they're, you know, they're saying, well, you're the boss, you're going to get us out of here. And then you're thinking, well, you know, I'm just curious what you've done for yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I And I have to say those, those eight days were in Khartoum. I was fortunate that I had a lot of people who were checking on me and calling me and kind of, um, you know, Caroline Jacobi was said to me, have you triggered your insurance yet? Which, which I hadn't. So that was an incredible <laughs> call and insight because that really helped us a great deal. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also, I'm very, we're very fortunate because we're part of Acer, and they are a very forward-thinking organization that has, you know, some funds that sits with them to support uh, student uh, students or all community members who need uh, counseling after the fact. So we were able to tap into that. And even uh, we had Sean Truman was speaking to me, even as we were kind of taking fire, you know, in, in waiting to be evacuated. So we were, um, I was able to access a lot of different, um, a lot of different supports. Wonderful to hear. And also, again, these organizations and these individuals mm -hmm. stepping up and making sure to check in. That's just so important. And, you know, what's so it's actually warming to hear these stories because you know that there are people out there that you might not know, but they're going to step up. And Trey, how about yourself? Because you, you you're dealing with you have teachers that have made a commitment to come back to Kiev. Uh, yes. And then, of course, you're giving us the scenarios of the of the uh, you know the bomb shelters. Talk a bit about what are you doing to develop that resilience, and also in your own personal journey, what are you doing to make sure you have some support for your own resilience? Yeah, so thank you for making that that distinction. I, I, I'm listening to Bridget and with, with such awe again because I mean my situation is different. That the staff that I that we presently have for the most part chose to come at this time. Um, and just pointing this out, the leadership team, myself included, uh, the large majority of the expat teachers are all new uh, at the school. Uh, so we've had this interesting, I mean, I, I thought it was a bit daunting at the beginning, but we've really uh, in, like, thrown ourselves into it with such gusto and passion is that the, the culture of PSI, a place where we belong, a place where voices are valued, all of these things, they're sacred, right? And so those of us who joined the school, we, we, we leaned into that obligation as stewards of that, right? So you, I have to say that I, I'm fortunate in the sense through the recruitment and through this new team, we've, we've collected this group, we happy few, if you will, that have come together with a certain shared uh, understanding of where we fit in the world and what we can do and, and, and our role and, 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 and 
leaving the world better than we found it. Um, so that helps. But uh, and there, there's there's a resiliency that comes with that. Um, but I will say you have brought up self-care. I think I'm going to use the term pretty directly that, you know, part of like, the, you know, the charm and forward model. And it's actually gets forgotten a great deal of the time that when you're dealing with marginalized um, or at-risk populations or in environments that, that come with stress or uncertainty, it's, it's really simple to forget that secondary stress is, is a thing. <laughs> and people, uh, whether it's in the medical field or working in a conflict zone with students, you, over time, you, can start to internalize uh, some of those elements. So it's uh, one of the real important uh, goals I have with this team is to keep it forefront. It's not a secondary um, uh, consideration for us. The idea of self-care and what that means, and it's different for different people. Um, and so it's not just, you know, say it once, it has to be modeled and it has, to, and you tell your staff what matters by what you keep at the forefront and their health and their ability to uh, deal with the challenges of the environment while also taking care of themselves is a constant conversation. Um, I, I think Bridget would agree with me on this. It's amazing to see the range of reactions people have to certain challenges, right? Um, we will see, if the siren goes off, we'll see everything from, eh, it's not a big deal, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where someone might even be having you know, a breathing change or anxiety starts and there's everything in between. Right. And so as a school, as a leadership team and myself as a director, knowing that and being able to think in an omnibus fashion about how to create a community of belonging where all of those reactions are valid, all those reactions are respected and understood. Um, and the community includes all of those people uh, with respect and in regard and support. Right. Um, so I would say that for me personally, um, my family, um, I, and I'm, I'm going to jump at it right here, but the way I was raised, uh, at a single mom, uh, resiliency was part of growing up. Uh, when you're a kid, you just don't, you have no idea how you're going to rely on how you were raised. <laughs> so there's that. And seeing that in my own life, um, I chose to do this, um, because I felt like we were part of something bigger in this moment. Uh, Ukraine, and I, you talked about the, the external geopolitics, John, but I think it's worth noting our school is training and raising the next generation of leaders. Peace will come. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And when it does, these particular kids, just by virtue of the families from which they hail and their demographic, are going to be your ambassadors. They're going to be your business leaders. They're going to be. Now, will they be inculcated with a sense of anger and revenge, or will they be predicating their lives of leadership on forgiveness, kindness, empathy, and understanding. And that is where us opening this campus in Kyiv, that's where we sit in that historic nexus um, because Ukraine's future is inextricably linked to the history of Europe. It's inextricably linked to the history of the world because there, there are forces out there trying to rewrite the world order. And they're trying to take us back to a time before World War II, where you could just invade your neighbor and take their, their land and what have you. And our sense of international norms are being tested in Ukraine is where that is being tested. It's, it's the crucible, right? Yeah. And these kids are in the middle of that future. And so that gives me resilience because I it's, it's the school, it's the moment, but it's the, there's the longer trajectory that gives you faith and belief and commitment and all those things that help build resilience as well. Thank you. You know, both of you 
uh, Leanne Lavender actually was a guest here, and it's just so nice because she talked about the digital stories, and and so you know we we listened and talked, and we kind of understood, but to hear the concreteness of it. Bridget and your community coming together and the the story of the IT technician, uh, you know, highlighting that. But I think, you know, both of you are saying that, you know, the one thing, Bridget, that really comes out is this idea of having a space for people to tell stories. And that mm -hmm. in that process, as the technician and other people very likely were saying, those storytelling was an opportunity to demonstrate the resilience and also the empathy and the care. And I think so often, uh, you know, Trey, you allude to this, this idea of self-care is only amplified more through this process that Leanne and you, Bridget, with your community went through. And that you're saying also, as you're a leader, you're making sure self-care health and th those spectrums of different reactions, we're open to all the support, anything. If you're just shrugging your shoulders or you're in total panic, we're here to listen and we're here to accept. And I think that is just so powerful as a message, you know, to educators and you setting the scene about the kind of the geopolitical tension of the Ukraine. And what's so reassuring, you know, we forget that so often the kids that are in front of us, and especially in international schools where they're in a socioeconomic situation that's far better than most children around the world, and there are going to be positions of power, if we can frame their understanding, their points of reference, and their moral compasses around peace, then I agree with you. Peace is about to come, we hope, because we desperately need it. So thank you. That is just so interesting to hear how... You know, you're in very different situations and you're in very different contexts, but there's this theme that's coming out of the idea of listening, empathy and stories and this idea of acceptance and inclusion. And I think that's we all international schools really hope to live that. But now we have such rich stories that you're sharing. People say growth through adversity and community through adversity. And I'm wondering if you could respond to that. And I'm going to start with Trey and then come to Bridget. Trey, mm -hmm. growth through adversity, community through adversity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stating the obvious, um, <laughs> the the commitment to, to values, um, your norms, your non-negotiables, uh, I find in life, whether as an individual or with organizations, these are quite convenient to adhere to during the easy times. Um, and it's when a person or an organization is tested uh, in, the, in, in the most extreme fashion possible, and you see uh, that organization not only remain committed to those vital norms and ethics and values, but they become even more pronounced. They grow under those circumstances. And I, I just, to be honest with you, this is my second experience over the last six years as a director in re I think we lost Trey, we'll just wait. Uh, I mean, I'm impressed if he's calling in from Kev, it's been very good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, maybe Bridget, uh, it might take him some time. Do you want to mm -hmm. just maybe start build on what he said? And those so, sure. and then we can, oh, Trey, you're back. 
Now you're back. Hey, I am. Okay, go ahead, Ray. Yeah, keep going. You I'm got really cut quickly. out for the last 30 seconds. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll just quickly say that we, we, we are what we are during the, the challenging times and our values and our norms. They either grow or they, or they end up to me, they end up being diaphanous and, and surface oriented. So, um, you know, this idea of community, um, we prove every day and, 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 and Bridget, I spoke about this, that we, we leaned in, not out. Uh, sometimes uh, conflict or a stress, anxiety can atomize a community. It can lead to division. It can lead to mistrust because people under extreme circumstances have sometimes unpredictable emotional responses to that. Um, fear and anxiety are inextricably linked. However, if you've got a strong community, people lean in and not out. And I, I have to say that what we're going through is the most tangible, concrete experience of my life of, of seeing a community bond together in the face of that. Thank you, Trey. Bridget. Yeah, I would say those, I was, um, I was and I continue to be very inspired by um, the, the many, many people who work for Khartoum American School, a lot of whom are still in Khartoum. Um, we as expatriates were able to, to leave Sudan safely because of the bravery of, of many of those people. They, you know, they continued to guard our houses uh, and apartments and even the school when, you know, most other, most other people in their professions had left for their families, very understandably. They moved my teachers around the city, you know, when there was a full-blown war going on um, because of that sense of community and connection to each other. There's, I'm sure you've heard this phrase before, Ubuntu, I am because you are. Um, and that, that is how I, that is how I am always inspired by my school community. Um, still, you know, our school driver messages, messages, he's in Khartoum, he messages us every morning to check how we are. <laughs> to check how we are here in Egypt when he is leaving, living in in Khartoum, you know, in a horrendous situation. So, I, for me, I, I, that the adversity and the connections they still have with the school and with each other is what is in, inspires me, and I know inspires other members of my community. Thank you. Yeah, and 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 this idea of you know you forget sometimes how the communities that we live in, there is the expatriate community and then there's mm -hmm. a local community. And sometimes the levels of dedication and the commitment is just phenomenal. And we, we need to remember that because, you know, often we have an exit ticket and not everybody gets the exit ticket. And that's really important the way you're highlighting that. You know, I, it, it, there's just so much we could talk for hours and I'm just mindful of time, but I'm wondering if both of you might have just some reflections or something, you know, we have an audience of educators and school leaders, and is there a lesson or is there a reflection that you would want to part on people as they start thinking about this and thinking about their own school community, the different things that you've talked about, uh, leniency, uh, sorry, resilience, leaning in instead of leaning out, this idea of uh, 
community and trust, those themes that you weave throughout the conversation. Is there something you would like to share or just a little note to say to those school leaders that are listening to this and are in different situations? Uh, hopefully not what you've experienced. It would just be great if you had something to share with the educators and leaders listening. So I don't know if Bridget, you want to start? Yeah, sure. I mean, I would, I will go back to this idea of trust. I hope people won't mind me saying it again, but I think it is the thing that um, resonates with me most that because I trusted our school driver, our teachers, you know, and he trusted me, our teachers were able to move safely across the city. Um, because those parents trusted our school community and our board and me, we were able to open open this school here and our, our, our school is still, you know, our students are still learning. So trust is, is incredibly important and it can be lost very easily, but it, it takes a lot to build it, but it's always worthwhile. Thank you. Trey. I uh, could agree with Bridget Moore um, on the trust element. I, I've been reflecting on something. It's always been an important part of my you know, belief in education, how, what is good teaching, what's good learning. It's, it's knowing your students and giving them space to, to be known more than ever. I, I, I think about, I mean, after speaking with Bridget and seeing her again today, I, it's, it's really hitting me hard that our experiences are, I guess, out of the norm, but there are still lessons. And I think, John, thank you for bringing us together today, because I think, I think really what's resonating with me is that some of the things that we're learning in these more extreme circumstances are still very applicable um, in schools across the world, especially coming out of COVID and all the uh, incipient trauma that went along with that experience for two years in education as a whole. I believe that every day, if I if we could get better at schools, at schools, at the following, which is making space and time for teachers to know their students um, and making that a priority because students who feel known and understood will take risks. And if they can take risks, they, they can make healthy mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Um, I, I feel like in our environment right now, it is vital, important, crucial that teachers lean into the humanity of their students and vice versa, vice versa, and building these, these relationships, um, which I know sometimes is more art than science, but it is really the most important piece for us, not whether it's in the trauma-informed part, whether it's in the learning, the, the more prototypical learning part, um, and the risk-taking that should happen in a healthy classroom. So I just I feel like that's such a important making space for that and encouraging teachers to, to do that, uh, whether it's the, through music or arts or storytelling, like Bridget was saying, so vital, um, humanizing everyone all the time. It's like, it, I, I've been telling the staff, like, what do we do today, you know, to build our humanity, right? Um, and it just has such a, an explicit benefit for all the things we're trying to do. Thank you, Trey. And, and I can't think of two better people to share these messages. And thank you both. I know you've gone through an extensive journey and you're both still very involved and I know involved with your community. I just want to thank you on the behalf of the International School Podcast. I'm very humbled to have spent the time here and learned and listened to what you've shared. It's been really so interesting. I want to remind our audience, uh, Bridget and Trey have kindly put some show notes. You can read their bio. Of course, they're happy to link with you on their social media feeds and there's their websites. And so don't hesitate to reach out. Both of you, thank you very much. Uh, wishing you positive thoughts and uh, good 
continuation in both of your contexts. And uh, thank you again from the bottom of my heart for really taking the time coming and spending the time to share these stories. It's so uh, rich and such an important learning for all of us. And the messages you leave with us, the idea of trust and humanity, I think they're not two better words to ponder on as we move forward. Thank you both for today. Thank and you. thank you to our audience for joining us. Thank, thank you so much.